to the truth. Simply put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. Okay, so we're going to get straight in. We're going to conclude faith consciousness today. All right. Hallelujah. Faith has doctrine. You cannot ignore the place of sound teaching and claim spiritual maturity, no matter how old you are in the faith. No matter how old you are in the faith, you cannot ignore the place of sound teaching Ignore the place of the scriptures rightly divided and claim spiritual maturity. Do you know how long I've been in the Lord? Makes, makes no difference. Sometimes your problem is that you have been in the Lord too long and you can't see your front. 40, I've been in the Lord 40 years. 40, what have you been doing in Him? You have not seen anything in Him since you have been in Him. You can't ignore sound doctrine. I was thinking about it the other day. Why do they look at us and say, oh, those people, new generation um, churches, oh, they're a cult. I said two things. One, we love each other. Two, we spend time in the world. That's our crime. That's our twofold crime. We love each other. We spend time in the world. Because now we look, oh, look at them. They're spending time in Bible study. That's why they're suspecting us. We come, we start teaching. He said, you don't sing. I said, sing for what? You come Bible study. You now spend time singing. You now say, there's not enough time for the word. You start meeting at 5. You start Bible study at 6.15. You now start rushing for 7.15, to close. So you came for Bible study. And that's it for this week. And you sing for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Special number. It's Bible study. Why are you afraid of Bible study? Why must we bread and butter you first before we teach you God's word? If indeed you came for God's word. So I said, no, not here. We start with the word straight up. Straight. It's time for Bible study. It's time for Bible study. You come to enter the word. Why should I bread and butter you? If it's drama nights, come for drama nights. Hello? Yeah. It's time for the word. It's word and life. Enter the word. Spend time in the word. And so you start to learn that. Sound doctor, you can't grow. You can't come into maturity. You have been in the Lord. How long have you spent with the Lord since you have been in the Lord? How long have you spent in the word, in the Lord? I have been in the Lord for 40 years. So what? Faith is looked at as sound doctrine. Inside living faith or alongside living faith. Faith must also be understood as sound doctrine. Do we get that? And faith as doctrine can be defined as the sum total of God's persuasion or belief system as pertaining Understanding Christ as the revelation of God's nature, 
as pertaining understanding Christ as a revelation of God's nature, as pertaining understanding our place in him and the spiritual maturity it calls us into as we grow in the knowledge of Christ. And I'll take it again. The sum total, faith as doctrine, the sum total of God's persuasion or belief system, actually a belief system in capital letters, as pertaining understanding Christ as the revelation of God's nature, right? As pertaining understanding our place in him, in Christ. As pertaining the spiritual maturity that he calls us into as we grow in the right knowledge of God's word or of God in Christ. I'll take it one more time. Faith as doctrine is God's persuasion or belief system as pertaining understanding Christ as the revelation of his nature, as of God's nature, as understanding our place in him and as pertaining the spiritual maturity that he calls us into as we grow in the right knowledge of God in Christ. Okay, one last time. Faith as doctrine is the sum total of God's persuasion or belief system as pertaining understanding Christ as the revelation of God's nature. It's threefold, right? Yes. Secondly, as pertaining our place or understanding our place in him and as pertaining or understand, the understanding of our spiritual maturity that he calls us into as we grow in the right knowledge of God in Christ. You get it? Yes. AKA, or simply put, some total of God's persuasion or belief system as pertaining our understanding of God's nature. Yeah? yeah? In Christ. As pertaining our place in Christ or in God through Christ. And as pertaining the understanding or spiritual maturity that that brings us into as we grow in our right knowledge of God in Christ. Because the only right way to know God is in Christ. That's why you see me emphasizing in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. You got it? Yes, AKA, faith as sound doctrine equals sound teaching. Which equals the word rightly divided. Which means in the light of Christ. Sound teaching. AKA, the word rightly divided. Which is to say, divided in the light of Christ. Just as the example we did now with Elijah. Where did we start? What Christ had to say. That's how you look at the scriptures. What Christ had to say. And that how that charts the course for understanding the rest of scriptures. So what the apostles do with the epistles is to unpack the sayings of Jesus and say the things that Jesus was saying that he did not say because we could not handle. Does that make sense? So when Paul is speaking, who is speaking? Jesus Christ through Paul. Fleshing out the things that Jesus was saying that he could not say because he couldn't handle them. Make sense now? That's how we look at scripture. In the light of Christ. Because Christ gives explanation to God. Can we say that together? Everybody in what a house. Christ gives explanation to God. One more time. 
Never forget that statement. Never forget it. Christ gives explanation to God. Christ is the absolute explanation of God. Christ is how God looks like. Christ is how God talks like. Christ is how God thinks like. Christ is how God acts like. Christ is how God smells like. Christ is how God feels like. Christ is how God loves like. Whatever is not in the nature of Christ is not the nature of God. It's not. Christ gives explanation to God. He is the image, Colossians 1.15, right, of the invisible God. This is the invisible God in a package that is visible. First John 1 and 1. First John 1 and 1. He's the image of the invisible God. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. See that next line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Concerning. Keep going. His son, we have seen. We have seen. Why are you trying to describe what you cannot describe? It's invisible. First Timothy 1:17. This is Paul speaking. It's not Pav. 1:17. Now to the King, eternal, immortal. What's the third one? Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory and power forever. Amen. Amen. He's invisible. Lu. You understand what I'm saying? A people from the east who say he's invisible. Lu. How then is he visible? In Christ. Christ gives visibility to God. Christ gives Visibility to God. Can we say that together? One more time. Christ gives visibility to God. He's the image of the invisible God. Outside Christ, you cannot see God. Outside Christ, you cannot know God. I, I said here a few days ago, if you pray and you went to God and all you heard was thunder, lightning, and fire, you didn't, you didn't meet God. Yeah. You come back and say, oh, it was fire, thunders, fire, lightnings. And I see, you didn't consult Christ. Yeah. You know him, you love him, you don't, you don't know him. You know him. You love him, you don't know him. Because if you consult Christ in looking for God, you will not come back and the answer is thunder, lightning, earthquake, and fire. You won't. You will not. Because that's not how God reveals himself to sons. Yeah. To sons. No, sir. 
If that's all he is, by now all of you should have had gone through spontaneous combustion. Yes, because what you're saying is inside you is thunder, fire, lightning, earthquake. Yes, yes. So once you say, Father, inside of you, lightning will strike thunder. <laughs> so you cannot walk in sound doctrine if you neglect understanding God's nature in Christ. Are you listening to me? You cannot. You cannot. You cannot neglect God's nature as revealed in Christ and expect to walk in sound doctrine. You will walk in error no matter how hard you try. No matter how good intentioned you are. You end up in error. Because Christ is the explanation of God. He pleased the Father, remember? That in him all the fullness should dwell. All the fullness. So God was like, you want, to, you want to deal with me? Just deal with Christ. Deal with Christ. You want to see me? See Christ. And that's why the writer of Hebrews was saying in, 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 in 2 and 5 of Hebrews, I believe, says, but we see Jesus. Ooh, we see Jesus. He goes on in, in 12 and 2 and says, looking unto Jesus. Later on in the same verse 12, chapter 12, it says, you have come to Jesus Christ. You have come to Jesus, looking unto Jesus. Beholding, because he gives visibility to God. You can't look at Elijah and understand God. In fact, you will misunderstand God. You will misrepresent God. If you call him the God of Elijah. Because he ain't a God who is eating up children. He said, forgive them for they know not what they do. He came to seek and save the lost. Not consume them. It's, it's, it's one of the saddest things in Christianity. Is how the blood of Jesus that saves the world is being used to kill people. When Hebrews 12 makes it clear that you have come to the blood that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Further down 12. Further down Hebrews 12. The blood that speaks better things. 24. You see it? Speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Genesis 4.10. God speaking to Cain says, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me. From the ground. What might it have been crying? You can say vengeance. You may not be wrong. Cries out. You can postulate vengeance. By inference. But Hebrew says that the blood of Jesus. Speaks better things. So if you agree or infer. That Abel's blood was crying vengeance. You have to agree. That whatever better means. Is not vengeance. It's you that said by yourself. Oh, that is vengeance Abel's blood was crying. Okay we agree. <laughs> Based on our green. Hebrews says the blood of Jesus. Speaks better things. So whatever you have agreed Abel's blood was speaking. The blood of Jesus speaks better things. It cannot be vengeance. 
Even in Egypt, sir, the blood did not kill anybody. The blood ensured sons were not killed. It was the absence of the blood that killed. Because he said, when I say the blood. So if anybody died, why did they die? They were outside the blood. No atonement. In case you don't know, that's the day that Passover as a festival was instituted. The blood has never killed anybody. The absence of the blood, absence of forgiveness, absence of atonement, hedge broken, serpent bites. Blood has never killed. People died before by the virtue of the absence of the blood. Egyptians were saved that day. I've said it before. God said if any doorpost upon which I see the blood... So one Egyptian will just come out and just see Israelites painting their doorposts with blood. Imagine an Egyptian coming out who had an Israelite friend who says to him, what's going on, Levi? And he says to him, no, this is what we, ah, no, no, no. So he, I will come into your house. Yeah, I will come in your house. Any, it not works. Anybody that entered the covering, anybody, anybody, any, he didn't say if I see the blood on a Jewish or Israelite doorpost, I will pass over you. On that same day, there would have been a few stubborn, proud Israelites that died. Like how I just paints last week. Can carry blood. Put on top. See what happened. God said, which God? I am now. I, I am what? Where has he been 400 years? Where have been in slavery? 400 years. Enter 30. He didn't say anything about deliverance. And now, now use you, criminal. You still forgotten that you 40 years ago. You said that kid. You said that kid, that guy ran away. Of all people to send, is now you. He didn't call your sister. He didn't call Aaron. Hmm? He didn't call Aaron. He didn't call Miriam. Now choose to send you. You know, came back married to a Gentile. Say, her name is Zipporah. How, how are we supposed to take you seriously? Criminal, run away. You left us suffering. Now came back with a, a, an outcast for a wife. And now telling us, God said, Excuse me. And the angel will not have stopped to investigate. Is this house without blood an Israelite house? Oh. So Passover celebrates salvation, not destruction. Celebrates those that survived by the blood. They're not using the blood to kill. For where? That is not the nature of God. And it will never be. For the blood of Jesus, fire. How? No. That's not what the blood of Jesus is for. But well, how will you know that when you are not being taught well? I've come to the blood that speaks better things. So we must understand God's nature in Christ. How God injects his persuasion about his nature in Christ into you. He gifts it into you. It's faith. It's faith. As explained and revealed in Christ, 
and how that shows who you are in him, in Christ, and, and that how that calls you into maturity from your right knowledge of God in Christ. That's doctrine. That's faith as doctrine. It's sad that the church today preaches miracles. God did not save us to live by miracles. On the contrary, by virtue of being saved, we are equipped to work miracles. And this might not be well handled by some of you who are still growing in the faith. So just ignore, if your faith is weak, just ignore it, yeah? If your faith is weak, just ignore it. You will, you will grow and reach where, where I'm about to see. But for some of you who can handle it, there is no record in this Bible, in the New Testament, of a believer in Christ Jesus who has the power to work miracles, who worked one for himself. None. None. Who used the power of God to help himself. Even Elijah waited at the brook. Imagine calling the fire from heaven. Is it food you cannot call? Shutting down heaven for three and a half years is water you cannot call from the ground. Do you know how Elisha died? He was sick. Some of you don't know. And his dead bones rose the dead. Enemies were coming as they were about to bury Elisha. They were going to bury a small boy rider. And as the enemies were coming, the Philistines, this guy saw the army coming and threw the body. The body landed inside Elisha's grave, dead. And he gave fire to the boy. The boy came out to life. And came out to life and joined people running. Second Kings 13, 14. Thank you, Father. Please look at the first line, everybody. NLT. Elisha was sick and died. Making people blind. Uh-huh. Making the valley full of water. Yeah, he's sick and died. 15. Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. And so he took a bow and some arrows. Keep going all the way to 21. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand, I love this story. And Elisha put his hand on the king's hands. And he said, open the east window. He opened it and he said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria for you must strike the Syrians at Afek until you have destroyed them then he said take the arrow so he took them he said strike the ground so he struck the ground three times and stopped and the man of God was angry with him on his sick bed and said he should have struck five or six times then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it but now you only strike Syria only three times 20 then Elisha died by the sickness and they read him bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year to see that they had buried him. So it was as they were burying a man that suddenly they spied a band of raiders and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha and when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Jonathan, they didn't put him there gently. They saw He's dead. Let the dead bury their dead. We are here. 
such a beautiful setup. Because even for these Moabites, this guy would have been buried <laughs> in his own grave, fresh grave. He will not rise. I hope the guy remembers to send tight to the Moabites later on. And the dead bones of Elisha, whoop, quicken the guy. But Elijah, Elisha died sick. Raised the boy back to life, gave him to his mother. Do you understand? The Shunammite woman. There's hardly an encounter you see in scripture where somebody who had supernatural endowments used it to benefit himself. I know, I know that's above the pay grade of some of you who have laid hands on your phone and it has come back to life. You are still growing. <laughs> you are still growing. You don't know what it feels like to pray for the sick and the healed. And you have something you're struggling with. Religion has painted it to be spiritual weakness. And that's wrong. That's wrong. Timothy said, Trophimus have left sick in Miletus. Even the Timothy, he tells him all this. This is your stomach pain you're always having. Drink, drinking small, small things too. Because then it was medicinal. Wine was medicinal. Still is. Now we're not saying that healing is not your portion. No, no, that's what, that's what we're saying. We're saying divine endowments are usually for the edification of the body. Not yourself. That's what we're saying. Supernatural endowments are for the edification of the body. For the glorification of Christ in the earth. Especially among unbelievers. Uh, especially. I'm not talking about that today. The power you have to work miracles is primarily in the midst of the unbelieving. They accompany the gospel. Where it is preached. Primarily to the unbeliever. And not necessarily where it is taught. To the believer. Oh, do miracles happen? Absolutely. They do. In the teaching of God's word. But are those miracles or are those sons of God taking what is theirs by revelation? Is a believer receiving his food a miracle if healing is the bread of the children? Why is a believer shocked that they received healing if healing belongs to them? Why is it then a miracle? It is your birthright. Your eyes just open to take. You knew. You knew. It's yours. It's done. So to whom is it a miracle? To the onlooker. To the onlooker. To the onlooker. We're not designed to live by miracles. We're designed to live in the supernatural as a default state. Default. You need healing. Take it. Provision. Call it. Protection, walk in it. Direction, express it. It's just, it's your default state. Supernatural default. We're not looking for miracles. We're working miracles. And like I said, not for ourselves. People were bringing aprons and handkerchiefs so that they could just touch Paul's body. Paul was not the one that announced for them to bring man to in the next service. Some people say, hey, but Paul, use handkerchief. Paul never said they should bring it. And he was on one occasion in one city. It wasn't everywhere Paul went. It wasn't on all his missionary journeys. It was also on the same occasion, the same city, that his shadows were healing the sick. The point I'm making is Paul had power. And yet he never, ever broke himself out of jail once. 
They want to kill this same Paul. You know what they did? They need a basket. Put almighty Paul inside basket and lowered him down the wall of the city to run for his life. Jesus raised blind men. Jesus fed the 5,000 men besides women and children. Jesus fed the 4,000 men besides women and children. Jesus walked upon the water. Jesus calmed the seas. Jesus was hungry. Sent them to buy food. John chapter 4. I mean, physician, heal thyself. Come on. Right there at the well. Don't forget John chapter 2. This is just two chapters later. Right there, just as the woman is coming to do, just, just, you just would not draw out a pail of wine. Straight up now. We're already at water. We're already at water. And this is even drinking water. And this is Jacob's well. Not any kind of well. Jacob's well. Straight up. Wine business. We start, <laughs> we start feasting already. But he sent them to go and buy food. Of course, there's a reason why, but the point is, he sent them to buy food. He gets to Peter's mother-in-law's house. And then this, when he wanted to, to eat, he was hungry. She was, she, she was sick, he healed her. I go and cook. Zacchaeus, today, salvation has come to your house. Let's go and eat. Because Jesus said himself, he said, John came, not eating or drinking. You say he's a, he has a demon, he's demon-possessed. Me now, I came eating and drinking. He sent me gluten. Which, 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 which one is going to work for you? <laughs> which one is going to work for you? Which one will you be happy with? And then he's there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they came to arrest him. And Peter cuts off that guy's ear. And Jesus says, Do you not think I can call my father? And he will send 12 legions of angels. 72,000 angels at the blink of an eye. He didn't. On the cross, he could have come down. He didn't. As you struck him with a cane, he had the ability, if he's healing for us, it means he's healing for, in God. Yes, sir. So as you strike him, the first cane, you see his skin will just heal straight back. Straight. Straight. No issues. But he didn't. So, someday we'll look at that as well. Let's rethink the supernatural. Let's rethink the miraculous before you're thinking that power was given to you for, for you to use for yourself. It was when people tried to use the power of God for themselves that they did stupid things. If I'm a servant of God, Elisha says, let fire come down from heaven and destroy you. And fire came. And we can do ex a close forensic exegesis of that verse. We'll show you how that fire did not come from heaven's throne, Shamaim. Because there's lightnings that start off forest fires. Forest fires, desert conditions, lightning strikes, yeah. held it tinder in the atmosphere, yeah. and there's fire. From the yeah. atmosphere, from the heavenlies, mm. doesn't mean that it came from the throne of God and God endorsed the fire. Elisha called for fire, God released it. That's not what he means. That's not what he means. What kind of God will that make him? Okay. Every time he tries to use it for yourself, he backfires. It's for others. So you're a conduit for the supernatural. A conduit. Yes, Are you getting that? Yes, so the understanding of the revelation of God's nature in Christ, our place in Him. In him. Look at Jude one three, for examples of faith as doctrine. 
Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to all the saints. Faith delivered to the saints. This cannot be said to be saving faith. Contend for the faith. It cannot be the gift of faith. It has to be doctrine. Now, I've not checked the other translations, but let's see how TPT puts this verse. Yeah, dearly beloved friend, I write, I was fully intending to write to you about our amazing salvation we all participate in. Go on. But felt the need, fantastic, but felt the need instead to challenge you to vigorously defend and contend for the beliefs that we cherish. You see that? Doctrine. The message. I've dropped everything to write to you about this life of salvation that we have in common. I have to write, insisting, begging that you fight with everything you have in you for this faith entrusted to us as a gift to God and cherish. How does the NLT part does the NLT put this? Faith as doctrine. But now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. Um, I'd like to see it in the Amplified. I was compelled to write to you urgently, appealing that you fight strenuously for the defense of the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. Look at this, beautiful. The faith that is the sum of Christian belief that was given verbally. Are we teaching okay? So it has to be doctrine. In Jude 1.3, contextually. Not saving faith, not living faith, not faith as a gift of the Spirit, but faith as the persuasion or belief system of God that undergirds our understanding of His nature in Christ, our place in Christ, and the maturity that that calls us into as we rightly divide the word of truth. So that's doctrine, right? Jude 1.3. Ephesians 4.5, I'll just show you a few, and we're done. Has it been a good run? Yes, sir. Ephesians 4.5, we'll start from verse 4. Thank you. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in, one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One Lord, one faith, one. This is what eventually, seven verses down, verse 12, same chapter. For the equipment of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, 13, till we all come to the unity of the? That's one faith. We must all come to unity of the faith. That faith. In other words, we must all understand God the same. In Christ the same. We can't be understanding God in Christ and you're understanding God in Moses. That's you planting two different seeds in your vineyard. It defines the land. Do you remember that? We must all come to the unity of the faith. We must all understand God the same. Denominations will suddenly be useless. Once we come into understanding God the same in Christ. You see, our problem in Christianity is not that we don't believe Christ. We do. We are just not using him to explain God. 
We believe Christ. Yes, stay here. When we want to keep, we don't need you to. When we want to destroy, we don't need you. When we want to give money and raise money, we don't need your opinion. We just need your name. In Jesus' name. So we know Christ. We love Christ. We know he died for our sins. We are just not using him to explain God. And God is saying it pleased him that in him, Christ, the fullness dwells. And you ignore Christ. You can't understand God. So some people understand God in Elijah dimensions. Some people understand God in, in Mosaic dimensions. Some people understand God in Job dimensions. People do. People, do. people are convinced he kills and makes a life. Because Job said. It's not God that said, though. It's Job that said. It's Job that said. And from chapter 1, we know that it wasn't God that killed. Because God told Job, don't Satan, whatever I do, don't, don't touch him. Don't kill him. Fire came from heaven. He destroyed this. Everybody, I'm the only one. That's such a sad story. There's always one person being left to come and tell Job. Oh, there's only one, always one person left. All your sons and daughters were in the house feasting when an earthquake struck and the house collapsed and everybody died. Only me escaped to tell you. Raiders came, kill and kill all your animals and they kill all the servants and kill everybody. Only me escaped to come and tell you. And scripture says while he was speaking. So they're coming one after the other. Job now sits down. He says, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh. That's wrong theology. Because Lord didn't take. And Job didn't know. We, we know. Because we read the story from the beginning. Again, this is, this is sound teaching. Do you understand? We read the story from the beginning. Now, at the time it was happening to Job, Job didn't know the whole picture. But we, with the benefit of hindsight and revelation, have the entire picture. And we can tell, oh, brother Job, you were wrong in saying the Lord take care. Because he didn't take nothing. He would have allowed it to happen, as he told Satan, but he didn't take nothing. He didn't take nothing. The Lord kills and makes a lie. He didn't kill nobody in that story. He didn't kill nobody. So Job's theology of understanding of God was wrong. His wife's theology of God was also wrong. Curse God and die. Satan's assessment of Job's misunderstanding of God was right. Job didn't really understand God because the going was good. Yes. Satan knew and asked God, does Job, fear you? does Job fear you for nothing? It's not because you have put a hedge of protection around him that he's this nice. Touch this thing and see. And God said, go ahead. And as Job, Satan touched it, Job manifested in his carnality. So he was only righteous and pious because the going was good. Satan knew that Job's assessment of God was wrong. Satan was right in his assessment of Job's assessment of God. Job 1. Does, does, does Job fear you for nothing? Put, put it up now. Start from verse 5. Are, are, you, are you getting anything? Faith as doctrine. Job would run and sanctify them, keep going, and he would try to skip straight to Job's response and he goes in verse 8. So the Lord says to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that is not like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? It's just, 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 just fear for nothing. There's something you need for Job. 
touch what it is in it for him and see what Job will say. Next verse. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the works of his hands. This is Satan testifying. <laughs> and his possessions have increased in the land. 11. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. And he will surely curse you to your face. Which is exactly what Job did. 12. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, not God. Satan said, you touch him. God said, you, Satan, is in your power. Don't lay a hand on this person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. That's a very, very indicting statement. I will just ignore it for today. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And the messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding besides them. And when the Sabians raided them and took them away, indeed they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, another also came and said, the fire of God, wrong assessment, fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you while he was still speaking. Another also came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands, rid of the camels and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. 18. While he was still speaking, the last one, another came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and fell on the young people and they are dead. And I alone escape to tell you in 20 job arose tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell to the ground and wept 21 then he said naked i came from my mother's womb and naked i shall return there the lord gave and the lord has taken away blessed be the name of the lord who did not take away he did not take away so again wrong explanation of god so the fact that Job said it doesn't mean it's doctrinally correct. Yes. Make sense? One faith. Can we say one faith? One faith. That means is we must all understand God the same way. And there's only one way to understand God. Christ. There's no multiple ways. I am the way, he said. No one comes to the Father except through me. Oh God of Abraham! Except through me. Oh God of Isaac, except through me. Except through me. It's not the God of power. No one comes to the Father. It's very explicit. There's only one way to understand God. The name of this explanation is Christ Jesus. He's the entire curriculum of the Father. He's the Logos of the Father, remember? It's the entire curriculum of the Father. He's how to know the Father exclusively. You cannot despise Christ and understand God. And that's the sad story with religion today. One faith. 1 Timothy 1, 18 to 20. 1 Timothy 1, 18 to 20. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you that you, by them, you wage the good warfare, having faith. That's what I want you to see. 
having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected, concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Please, it doesn't ever imply that they lost their salvation. Because this is not referring to saving faith. If it was saving faith, Paul would not be telling Timothy, have faith. Because he's saved now. And he's living by faith already. We walk by faith and not by sight. Talk to me now. But he's telling Timothy, having faith and a good conscience, this faith, some have rejected. And because they rejected sound teaching, they shipwrecked themselves. Case in point, verse 20, Hamanias and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan so that they may not be lost, so that they may learn to not blaspheme. He didn't say so that they may lose their salvation and go to hell. Yes. I've taught that here before. Yes. That Satan can teach them how to respect God. Yes. Since you don't want us to teach you from scripture, yes. Satan will teach you. Not that they were lost and going to hell, wherever that is. But that they had shipwrecked their faith. They had confused themselves with nonsense doctrine. Now I'll come back to to, to 1 Timothy 1 19. But take me to 1 Corinthians 5 and 5 so you can see that they may learn not to blaspheme. Just so they can see it in passing. Deliver such a one, Paul is telling the Corinthian church, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved. <laughs> Am I teaching you all right? Deliver such a one to Satan for the Release this man over to Satan for the destruction of his rebellious flesh in the hope that his spirit may be rescued and restored on the day of the Lord. That's the ultimate. The message. Hold this man's conduct to public scrutiny. Let him defend it if he can, but if he can't, then out with him it will be totally devastating to him, of course, and embarrassing to you, but it's better devastation and embarrassment than damnation. You want him on his feet and forgive him before the master of the day of judgment. This is when Satan resumes his duty as a prefect in church. I've taught you how Satan is the one who's afraid of you. Not you, afraid of Satan. No, Satan works for you, sir. He works for you. He's just a toothless dog on a leash. He's not a lion. He walks around like a lion. He's not, he's not called a lion. He's like. <laughs> He's like. He resembles. <laughs> you get it? Prefect in the church. So Satan is buffeting somebody's flesh. To what end? To sharpen his salvation. Teach him how to respect God. <laughs> First Timothy 1.19. Go back to verse 18 and put up the TPT. First Timothy 1.18. Are you here? Yes, sir. 18. Is that from 17 in TPT? I need verse 18. So Timothy, my son, I'm entrusting you this responsibility in keeping with the first prophecies that were spoken over your life and are now in the process of fulfillment in this great work of ministry in keeping with the prophecies spoken over you. With this encouragement, use your prophecies as weapons as you wage warfare by faith and with a clean conscience. For there are many who reject these virtues and are now destitute of the true faith. 
such as Hermeneus and Alexander who have fallen away. I have delivered them both over to Satan to be rid of them and to teach them to no longer blaspheme. The message, 19. <laughs> Is anybody enjoying this like me? Keeping a firm grip on your faith and on yourself. After all, this is a fight we're in. There are some, you know, who by relaxing their grip and thinking anything goes, have made a thorough mess of their faith. Sound teaching, doctrine. Hermeneus and Alexander are two of them. I let them wander off to Satan to be taught a lesson or two about not blaspheming. Satan will say, come here. <laughs> you're, not, you're disrespecting our maker, my boss. Lie down. <laughs> now come back to the church. Have you learned how not to blaspheme? Yes, my Lord. <laughs> you are casting and binding Satan. We need him. <laughs> Romans 14.1 Faith as doctrine. Some total of God's persuasion and belief system as pertaining understanding Christ as his revelation or the revelation of his nature. Romans 14.1 Receive one who is weak in the faith. Remember the scripture? Yeah. But not to dispute over doubtful things. Again, if it's saving faith, it means that you have to have a level or volume of it to be saved. If it's living faith, it means that if you don't have plenty of it, you can't live well. Uh, that's not what it's referring to here. Clearly, doctrine. So when you say one is weak in the faith, the whole of Romans 14 deals with that. Someone who's weak in the faith, you know, seeing you eating food given to idols or all of that. Weak in faith means somebody who has not sat on that sound doctrine enough. Does that make sense? Yeah. Somebody who hasn't sat on that doctrine enough. That's why you must learn not to rub your liberty in somebody's face. It's not scriptural. Oh, my friend, what do you call it? Pierce your ear, my friend. It's free. You are free. You can't tell so you are infringing their freedom with your freedom. Free or free. Don't let them free, they are free. It's a free something, I tell you. I tell you. It's a free something. Ah hey, after sitting on that grace, you still cannot pierce your ear and pierce your nose. Ah, you are in bondage. You are the one who's in bondage. Don't do that. Don't lead somebody because whatever that person does, that's, that's the end of Romans 14, 23. Whatever is not of faith. Whatever is not undergirded by sound doctrine, sir. Whatever you didn't do because you had conviction and persuasion from God's faith about is sin. It wasn't faith as in saving faith or living faith. Because he does not eat from faith. What does it mean to not eat from faith? I'm not, I'm not even really sure whether I should be eating this thing or not. What have they even taught about this thing in the scripture? I'm not really sure. I was not even there in past of really even teaching this thing properly. Um, so, you know, first, I say, eat, now eat, it's okay, not in day, not in day. And then you two are eating, you have not sat on that sound teaching that explains the position of God about what you are eating. Don't do that, it's sin. Doctrine, teaching. So you can't impose your liberty on somebody else. Yes, ah, every time, every time you're wearing long skirts, are you the auntie of the church? Hey, free or free? Yes. You, you are led by whatever spirit is leading to come naked. Yes. 
You know, look at somebody who is dressed and say, Ah, you, why are you so dressed? Did we buy all the yards in the market? Auntie, face your front. Somebody else, their faith is weaker than yours. Not saving faith. Their grasp of sound teaching, doctrine, is not as robust as yours. So temper them gently. You can't just walk to someone and say, look at the way you're sitting, close your legs. They, can't, they don't even know what you are saying. You know what you're saying. You're looking terrible. You don't, you don't approach people like that. You look at them according to what they've received. At what level their faith is. Not their salvation in Christ Jesus. But their grasp of sound doctrine. So I know some of you think that oh, not all parts of scripture are for believing. That's why you're struggling in your life. Because you're section. See, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 5, deliver such a one to Satan. What are you saying? New Testament. So we can sit in a meeting as presbyteros and legislate that this one is handed over to Satan. Again, I repeat, our problem is we are still picking and choosing inside grace. Oh, now this one cannot possibly apply to us. But it's there. By the same person that taught you grace through faith. So I love you. We are close. I will crush you. You can't be misbehaving. And expect to maintain status quo. It's not politics. Crush you. Bring the oil out of you. Bring the finesse out of you. And you are thinking, give me a little break. No way. No way, Pav. Cut me a little slack. No, sir. I will squeeze you until that fine oil comes out. Because it's to your good. It's to your good. You go left, I will tackle you. Go right, I will tackle you. Go, I will tackle you. And I'm constantly tackling you with what I've taught you from God's word. Now you are coming at me with rationale. You're coming at me with emotion. You're coming at me with sentiment. You're coming at me with logic and sense. I'm not listening to you. You say, ah, Pav is very wicked. Pav is evil. Pav is heartless. Doesn't know how, how much I'm hurting. On account of him, you will hurt and explode. You gummed your chair. <laughs> you will gum your chair. And then one day you wake up and realize, okay, this is working out for my good. Because I'm not going to patronize you. We have sound doctrine to uphold. Sound doctrine. So don't use your liberty and abuse somebody else's. No, don't do that. The fact that you're naturally conservative doesn't mean you should look at everybody else as though they are boring or they are unnecessarily adventurous rather. And then because you, you are very spirited and eccentric, you look at everybody who's conservative like, uh-uh, can you say free a bit, a bit now? Hey, let each one grow according to his subscription to persuasion. As each one is taught, as each one is taught, let them grow. And then you too, before you say, hey, yes, it's three people should leave me. You too, grow! Yes, sir! I'm weak in faith. I, can you hear yourself? <laughs> Weakly. <laughs> hey, yes, leave me, leave me. I'm weak, I'm weak in faith. Let the weak say I'm strong, my friend. How can you, how long do you want to be weak? I'm weak. So Romans 14 1 refreshed it. <laughs> Put it up. <laughs> Let me see in the TPT. Romans 14 1. 
offer an open hand of fellowship to welcome every true believer, even though their faith may be weak and immature. And refuse to engage in debates with them concerning nothing more than opinions. Yes, 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 yes. The message. What you understand is your love capacity will expand. Yes, sir. Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. Have I, am I teaching you well? I told you I don't study with these translations. I don't. Because they are, they are dynamic equivalents or even paraphrase translations. So most times I see them along with you. But it's very clear. Scripture is very clear. Somebody might not be so well taught, so well versed in something as you. Don't carry truth and throw in their face. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't throw truth in their face and expect that they should know what you know. People are in different levels in their faith journey. Their grasp of doctrine. Their grasp of teaching. Does that make sense? 1 Timothy 4.1 Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter time some will depart from the faith. Not depart from salvation. Because it explains what departing from the faith means. Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. In the last days, believers will start hearing nonsense. We'll start believing nonsense. As crunch time bites in deeper. So this prosperity message, maybe we should consider it small. Are you really sure that nobody from my village is after me? I'm teaching you who you are in Christ. Hammering on it. But you are listening to the volume of the problems in your life and thinking your position has been thwarted by your condition. You now abdicate your position because of your condition. Open yourself up to deceiving spirits. You go there and tell you, no, if we're teach, what we're teaching you is not enough for you, go and join that prophet. Just go ready. Just go and join that prayer house. Because we will not carry spiritual responsibility and entrust to babes. If we do and you prove to be a babe, I will repent of it by removing you. If you prove that you were a round peg in a square hole, I reserve the right to repent by removing you. Because I can put you in a position by expectation and you refuse to live up to the expectation. I'm not going to leave you there because I have faith in you. I'll take you off until you grow into the faith I have in you. Because in your faithlessness, you are wrecking lives. Lives that Jesus spent his precious blood to save. Lives that I will give account of, not you. I'll take you out. And you will feel bad all you want. It's the church of Jesus Christ. He's the Jew. He's the Jew. So there's people like that. Believers, their salvation is not lost, but their stance on doctrine is compromised. 1 Timothy 4.1, put it up in the TPT. Let's see this. The Holy Spirit has explicitly revealed at the end of this age, many will depart from the true faith one after another, devoting themselves to spirits of deception 
and following demon-inspired revelations and theories. You see that? The message. The Spirit makes it clear that as time goes on, some are going to give up on the faith and chase after demonic illusions put forth by professional liars. Professional liars. Anybody watching football is going to hell. Anybody doing this and the other is sharing boundary with hell. A lot of people make money from making you fear everything that happens around you. So you can get the, the solution from them. Everything is a spiritual problem. If everything is a spiritual problem, it should be the simplest problem to solve. It's not what you should now do prescription over and pray and fast. Because if it's spiritual, it should just be. But why are spiritual problems the most difficult problems for spiritual people to solve? Are they spiritual? Because I would look at someone and say, your problem is spiritual. It, it will take a lot. We have to walk. We have to do things. You have to do assignments. We have to do something. You cannot just go. But if it's spiritual, it's the easiest thing to go. It's the easiest thing. You have power to cast out devils. So if it's spiritual, you should go like that. If it's a spiritual problem, and you're a spiritual person. I had a great time conversing with demons before casting them out. A pastor friend had an event. We finished in church late, my wife and I. I just had to drop by the program. I wasn't the guest minister or whatever. You know how we just drop into an event. And we start at the back. We're tired from our own Sunday service. And these guys were struggling with a demon-possessed person. And I was laughing for a while. <laughs> and, uh, have you seen a demon-possessed person is beating the person that's trying to, that's trying to, to cast them out? In London. And after a while, I just said to her, I said, you know what, just give me a few minutes. I was dressed like this at the time. Took out my jacket, folded my, <laughs> my sleeves, slacking my tie. I went into the ring. <laughs> that was so much fun. I just, just for fun, just, you know, you cast the demon out and then the next demon starts to speak in a different voice and talk to you. And you talk to it and you cast it out. And everybody found this circle around us in the church. I was just, just having fun. I didn't shout, I didn't pray, I didn't fight, nothing. You just cast them out. You cast them out. You cast them out. It's not difficult. It's not difficult. In fact, the, the language uses cast out devils. Devils. You cast them out. It's our authority. It's our exclusive authority as sons of God. We're not afraid of devils. We're not afraid of devils. So if it's a spiritual problem, if your problem is really spiritual, then it's easy. It should be difficult if it's not spiritual. Because if it's financial, I don't have money to give you, then we have a problem. <laughs> is that not so? <laughs> if it's legalistic and you have, if, if going to court or police means that they will arrest me too. <laughs> but if it's spiritual, easy. So if you have hung around with me, you realize that if, if there's an issue, and I say to you, peace. That's the end. What are you expecting me to say? Because that's easy. It's not difficult. You're going somewhere for a job interview or whatever. We say, it's yours. It is yours. That's how easy it is. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's how easy it is. So when we look at that in the light of deceiving spirits, you realize that wrong doctrine arises from the point where you think that what you're being taught about Christ is not enough. 
So there's pseudo-Christianity, there's quasi-Christianity introduced into the mix. It's Jesus Christ and, you know. It's a finished work, but some is left. Isn't that deep? That's deep. It's finished work. It's a finished work. There's more that. I'm not saying it's not finished, though. You know? It's just that small remain. The one in your village, the, <laughs> the blood of Christ on the cross was not strong enough to reach there. There's newer demons that the blood just has not been updated to handle. There's some Trojans. Yeah? You know Trojans? There's some, there's some malware. They have not updated the blood of Jesus too. <laughs> so we have a lot of believers who are trapped in wrong doctrine. That's why we keep teaching. Presenting every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Let's finish this. Second Corinthians 10.15 Faith as doctrine. Sound teaching. The world rightly divided in the light of Christ. Rome, first, Second Corinthians 10.15 Not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. As your faith is increased. You get it? As your faith is increased. That's understanding of God's word. Understanding of God's nature in the person of Christ. Ephesians 4.13, I've gone through that. Ephesians 6.16, 4.13 was uh, um, unity of the faith. Ephesians 6.16, I need to get to one verse very quickly. I'm itching to get there. 616, above all, taking the shield of faith. You can't be telling a believer to take the thing that makes him saved. If he's saving faith. Taking the shield of faith, coming from 1 Timothy 4, doctrine of demons. Shield of faith will be sound doctrine. The undergirding of sound doctrine. With which you'll be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Anything the enemy throws at you to try and deceive you. To try and derail you. You are taught enough to resist it. As a shield of faith. The shield of God's persuasion about himself. You throw nonsense about my salvation. It hits it there. Nonsense about my, my ancestry. It goes there. Nonsense about spiritual oppression and, and possession. It goes, I'm taking the shield of faith. I'm properly taught. I am properly taught. So I'm grounded. I'm skilled in the word of righteousness. Not tossed about by every wind of doctrine. Ephesians 4. You gain stability in the spirit. Which translates to stability in the earth. In the place of doctrine. Let's see how TPT puts that verse. 2 Corinthians 10.15 in every battle, take faith as your wraparound shield, for it is able to extinguish the blazing arrows coming at you from the evil one. The message. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over, but the shouting, you still be on your feet. Uh huh. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith. That's brief. 
and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon in Jesus' name. Shield of faith, eh? <laughs> Maybe I should, ah, oh, Holy Spirit, man. But please, the devil is not coming to get you beyond trying to pervert your understanding of God. He has no right to try you any other way. No right. Satan is not coming to you to try and kill you. He cannot kill you. And the unfortunate thing is you are the only one that does not know. Satan knows he has no jurisdiction over your life. That's why he can teach you how not to blaspheme and hand you back to the church. Why doesn't he take the opportunity to kill you because you have been removed from the fold of safety? You understand? You have been handed over to Satan. Then that's the end. Satan should just take advantage of it and kill you. One down. He has no jurisdiction. He's only coming at you to pervert what you know because it renders you useless in the earth. And the more useless you are, the more space he has to do what he intends to do. The more sound taught people in the earth like us now, yeah. the more difficult it is for him to do his business. Yes, and that is ruining his market in the earth. So whatever he can do to stop it, he will. Do you understand that now? Whatever he can do to stop it, he will. First Thessalonians 3.10. This is what I was waiting to get to. He puts it very clear. Start from verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which you rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. It cannot be saving faith because you're saved. You're called saints in 1 Thessalonians 1. It cannot be living faith because it means you're not living well until we come. It can't be the gift of faith either because it's given to some. Because if it's any of this, we have a problem with our salvation. If the writer is saying that I am coming to perfect what is lacking in your faith. Put up KJV. Perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Tipity. See you face to face and furnish you with whatever may be lacking in your faith. The message. Asking for the bonus of seeing your faces again and doing what we can to help when your faith falters. The, the amplified. And may complete whatever may be imperfect and lacking in your faith. What is that? Doctrine. Teaching. There are some things you don't know because we have not come to you. We have not taught you. So it's lacking. I'm trusting God to come to you physically. There's only so much letters can, can deliver. I want to come and see you again so I can supply what is lacking in your faith. In other words, so I can teach you what you have not been taught. Yes, so you can receive maturity in areas where you might be lacking. Yes, supply what is lacking in your faith. Not complete your salvation. Yes. So let's, let, me, let me come and give to you. You know, and that's the same sort of language he uses in Romans. I think it's Romans where he says that I long to see that I might impart to you some spiritual gift. Yes. Some spiritual gift. Titus 1, 12 and 13. Are you getting this? Yes, sir. 
Titus 1, 12, and 13, who have done good. One of them, a prophet of their own, this is Paul telling Titus when he said he left him in, in Crete to a, a, a ordain bishops in every church. He says, Cretans, that's people of Crete, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Eh, this testimony is true. <laughs> in other words, I know it's true. Cretans are liars, beasts, and gluttons. Therefore, these particular Cretans rebuke them sharply that they may be. Let's, let's, let's take the statement to the end. Sounding the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. You see it now? Rebuke them sharply. Rebuke is part of what scripture is given for. Second Timothy 3. Right? All scripture is God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, correction, reproof, instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be thoroughly furnished. Right? Reproof. Correction. So Paul tells Titus, it is true what they're saying about these guys in Crete. They're lazy, they're evil. They, you know, rebuke them sharply so that their faith can grow. So they can gain maturity and stop listening to nonsense that is coming from Jewish fables and from the commandments of men that turn from the truth. Rebuke them so they can grow in doctrine. Does that make sense? Put it up verse 13. Titus 1, 13. Let's see it in the TPT. He certainly knew what he was talking about. For this reason, correct them thoroughly so that their lives will line up with the truths of our faith. The message. Get on them right away. Stop that deceased talk of Jewish make-believe and made-up rules. Keep going. So they can recover a robust faith. Titus 2 and 2, my last scripture for today. Titus 2 and 2. Same letter. Start from, start from verse 1. But as for you, Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. The colon there shows you that what is coming explains what he means by what is proper for sound doctrine. Does that make sense? That is, verse 2, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith. In other words, properly taught, grounded in the word. That's faith as doctrine. So, as we conclude, you understand that in the scriptures, faith takes on meaning contextually. Does everybody understand that now? Faith takes on meaning contextually. The context determines the meaning in that usage. Faith as saving faith, faith as living faith, faith as the gift of the spirit, and faith as doctrine. That's what we contend for. Now what's our part? Consciousness of this. Consciousness of every expression, every sphere of God's persuasion. Because it is God's persuasion that we live by. The just living by faith is the just living by God's dictates about himself. As explained in the person, system, message, and nature of Christ. The Christ conscious believer. It's one message. And we won't finish preaching it. We won't finish teaching it. 
That's all he is. Faith is you being conscious of his faith. What have you got to say about this thing? Once you latch on to what the word is saying about it, you're fine. You can believe the word wrongly because you want to apply to yourself what you have seen. You want to apply to yourself what you have seen. But if you understand God's faith, God's conviction behind the word, you'll apply it rightly. Because God will not be faithless to be faithful to you. It is because he's faithful to himself that you enjoy his faithfulness. God is not faithful because he's faithful to you. It's not to you God is faithful. God is faithful. He's not about to deny himself. God is faithful. It's because he's been faithful that we enjoy his faithfulness. So all we're doing is just enjoying the ride of his faith by virtue of our consciousness to it. Isn't that beautiful? It's all on him. That's the place of rest. It's, it's his work. It's his work. This morning I, put, I wrote down, I said, faith is a gift God gives you. Not a bribe you give God. You know bribe now? What you give to enable something. So God has it. God can do it. But he will not do it until you tip him. To give him faith. He now gives you what it belongs to you that he has always he has already given you. That's a bribe. But it's God giving you the ability to take what he has given you. That's faith. God putting you the awareness to bask in what he has done for you. God making you see what he has done for you. Because when you see it, you can enjoy it. And the seeing, the awareness, the consciousness is an implantation. Is an imputation. Is a transmutation from God. It's a gift of God. Not of works. And that is such an assuring thing. So, so I don't know about you, but me, Alexander Victor, I am not ever, my wife can testify, I am not ever struggling to believe God's word. No, sir. I am not ever, in fact, my weakness is the fact that whatever I'm dealing with, I hold it subject to God's word. I would rather this thing kills me at the point of subscription than that, than that it makes me comfortable at the point of compromise. I would rather it kills me at the point of subscription to it than that it makes me comfortable at the point of compromise. What do I gain being comfortable by twisting God's word? Money, fame, girls, houses, trips, cars. That's all this is worth. No, Paul says I count it all as dung. That I may gain Christ. And again, not gaining Christ as though he didn't have him. But gaining the understanding of God as revealed in Christ. Philippians 3. That I may gain Christ. So by the spirit of God and by the transmutation of his faith, I do not struggle to believe God's word. And because I do not struggle to believe God's word, I do not struggle to obey God's word. I do not struggle to live by the dictates of God's word. 
I do not struggle to be proof of the manifestation in the earth of God's word in my life. And in fact, I dare say that I am the word made flesh. <laughs> because it's not of me who wills or, or do, it's of God that shows mercy. And in his mercy, he transmits faith into me. That's how into me God is. That's how into me God is. That's how crazy about me he is. He ain't going to let me figure it out by myself. He will influence upon me what I need to see him correctly. So every day my consciousness is influence me, Lord. That's my consciousness. Influence me. Show me. Unpack it in me. I will do it. I never want to draw boundaries for my subscription to God's word. Never. If people in scripture did it, I can do it. That's my conviction. If Paul and the churches lived by this New Testament, it's not, it's not hard. It's not hard. It's, it's people that lived by it. Not angels. There's people that lived by forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. Don't tell me that life did not test that resolve. Testing of persuasion. Don't tell me that people didn't have cause to be bitter and didn't rise above it. No. If they rose above it, so can I. If they walked in love, so can I. If they give selflessly at all times, even in their poverty and their lack, so can I. If they submitted to spiritual authority and humbled themselves under the mighty hand of the Lord so he can exalt them, so will I. So will I. If they were temperate and moderate and their moderation was known to all, so will I. It's, it's, it's a cruise. It's a cruise. It's nothing you're doing. It's just you yielding and being conscious to his word. That's, that's faith. Faith is being conscious of his faith over you. And then the struggle ceases. The struggle ceases. That's why I announced on Wednesday we are coming into unprecedented times. I'm saying it again. I'm saying it again. Unprecedented times of, of strange happenings. Strange happenings. Strange favors. Strange. Supernatural manifestations becoming natural. Natural. Touching your hand to anything in his name according to his will and watching it come to pass. Instantly. Walking in your birthright without struggle. Open your mouth and declaring the logos. Giving it rema as is necessary for a particular time and seeing results come into your life. That's the season that's opened upon us. A season, I dare add, that will not cease. A season that will not cease. Because it was probably lacking in your faith. Now it has been supplied. <laughs> now it has been supplied. You walk in the supernatural naturally. Are you hearing me? Naturally. All of you under the sound of my voice. No exception. No exception. You become a supercharged power carrier of the manifest presence of God in all its tangibility. 
made manifest in the earth, happening in your sphere of influence. In the name of Jesus. Oh, come on, press into it for a few seconds. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Most High. Hallelujah. Go ahead and give him praise. Come on, give him glory. Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at War the Church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.